WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. A lot of technology we use today, such as social media, have a lot of biases, such as race and gender. Jamal investigates these biases and brings them to attention to mitigate them and decrease a negative social impact. Hi, Jamal. Thanks so much for joining us today. May you please tell us more about yourself and your research? Hi, how are you? It's really nice to be here. So my research actually considers a lot of social biases. So you can say classify them as like the isms that plague our society, such as racism, sexism, ageism, sizeism, stuff that actually negatively impact our society. And my current research focuses on fairness and bias in NLP, which is natural language processing, because inclusivity matters in all forms. Let's talk a little bit about how bias enters these algorithms in the first place. If computers are meant to be just very neutral, how do the biases get introduced anyways? So biases in technology, such as like algorithms that help you see videos on social media platforms, such as Facebook or Instagram, even just language technology, like news articles, abstracts, books. But most likely, those are written in uh, standard American English, which are more formal. So a lot of the unstructured data comes more from social media posts. And everyone knows that if you get statuses from social media, it contains a lot of hate speech, offensive language, a lot of emotion. And when you train these models on this type of information, then it's very discriminatory against certain races and genders. So that's how biases enter these models. There are so many different identities out there. For example, it could be your race or gender and so many other things like you were mentioning earlier. How are you able to determine your data set because there are so many identities out there? Are you focused, for example, on standard American language or something else? That's the thing about my research. It's not narrow. It's really broad under the umbrella of social issues. So the data is actually collected on the project at hand. So for example, if you're trying to study some type of implicit bias against people with dot, 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 and you fill in that those three dots with addiction, then you look for a data set that contains health data with people who suffer from addiction. Or you're studying, if you fill in that dot, dot, dot with categories such as indigenous rights, LGBTQIA plus rights social inequality, social stability, women's rights, disease, fraud. You kind of look for those data sets. You do some data mining, so you look for those data sets that could uh, capture those different categories, and then you go from there. Now, this is more of a clarifying question because you talked about a number of different data sets that you can take from, whether it's literature found in different scholarly activities to the social media that's posted online. Are you only focusing on social media or are you also looking at academic journals that discuss the different kinds of rights that are being thought about and developed for people from different identities? So far, my focus is on social media. 
that reason is because I specifically try to focus on conceptualizing social harms arising from the advancement of language technologies. So I try to highlight both positive and negative social impacts. So say, for example, you have these speech technologies where you have Alexa and Siri and Google Home. Well, these are trained on perfect English. And say for people who live in the Northeast or in the North of the United States, they don't usually have a problem when using these types of technologies or chatbots or language systems. But if you go to the Southern states and you go in really quote-unquote country areas, in, in states such as like Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, you have a lot of problems when people try to speak in these kind of technologies and they don't understand them. So live transcriptions are super wrong. So say, for example, you're using social media and you're live and you have these live transcriptions and you're ending a video and you say, peace out. And then on the screen, you see a live transcription and you see pizza. Then you're like, wow, that's not what I said. And that's just a really simple example of, say, linguistic bias, where these technologies don't actually understand what you're saying. But it actually gets really deeper, and a lot of people have these feelings of technological marginalization. So my goal is to mitigate those feelings of disenfranchisement and make it fair across demographic categories, such as race, ethnicity, gender, sex, and so on. Yeah, I completely understand you with the transcription part. A lot of the times transcripts don't actually understand whenever I'm speaking, and especially my parents who have a much heavier accent. Whenever you're gathering these data sets, you said that it was through social media. However, is there a way that you can just put it into a browser and say that you want something, for example, with racism? Because I'm wondering if you're signed into your account, wouldn't the results that come up be biased towards what you already are inclined to view? When you actually collect data to do a study, you never collect your own data, right? If you collect your own data, it comes into this sort of selection bias where, say, for example, if you watch a lot of sports and you try to scrape or collect your own data, all your data is selected by sports. Or it's actually controlled by your friends or your social network, right? So when you try to collect data, for example... People who are speaking about the election or COVID-19 use Twitter, and Twitter has an API. So it has this program that allows you to collect tweets at random, and you get millions of tweets in just a couple seconds. So it's super at random. There's a cohesive topic, but there's no one profile or something when you're trying to get data. So if you're looking for keywords such as like COVID-19, coronavirus, and you search those keywords in the API, you get millions of tweets from random people all over the world in every single country that has tweeted about these topics. And you collect data and you do some type of statistical analysis on this data. Also, there are people who do a lot of corpus building, meaning that a lot of companies such as like Google or Facebook or even Twitter put out these data sets. A lot of people and a lot of institutions such as like Stanford or MIT or Oxford University in England, they release a lot of these data sets. Um, Microsoft also puts out a lot of data sets for academic purposes. So yes, you can search in your browser and find data sets, but it really depends on how long ago the data set was released. So you're not going to look at COVID-19 uh 
and and look at an article that was released in 2018 since it was four years ago and there's a lot that happened within the last three and a half years so you really have to keep searching or even try to build your own data set by scraping new data now whenever you mention that corporate data i have to wonder what prevents them from having bias in their data that they publish that's a super good question nothing stops the bias like nothing at all like absolutely nothing that's why you we can't get rid of bias so say if Facebook just collects everyone's posts, it's going to have some type of bias because you have like communities. Reddit, for example, is like the largest discussion platform and they have a higher tolerance for offensive language. So you have like really like racist groups that go against a lot of topics, um, social topics or social issues. So they sometimes encourage bullying or talk about mental health. They make fun of people that have mental health issues. Facebook groups as well. So if you randomly collect this data, it's going to be super biased. Sometimes it's good to introduce this kind of bias into the model so it can understand that there's diversity within information. Say, for example, if you're trying to produce a sentence and you said young student goes to college, it could produce that sentence. But if you changed it to a young blind student goes to college, it's going to be like, that's impossible. And in real life, it's not impossible. So you have that discrimination against people with disabilities as well. So that's that's just an example of when you ask, like, how do these companies get rid of the bias from their data? They can't. You work on it after you get the data. The amount of data that exists out there can sometimes feel like it's infinite, but there is a finite amount. And something I'm wondering about is how do you determine how much data is enough data to be statistically significant to make some certain conclusions about the biases that are found in these different training models? In the question of finite data, in social media, you get millions of terabytes per day. You have people who upload on YouTube, make posts every day. On Twitter, all of these social platforms are updating their websites or platforms with news, with events that's going on, even if it's just scandal and there's fake news going on. Say for there's a rumor or even a photoshopped picture of a celebrity and everyone goes nuts and it doesn't even have to be true. And then you get millions of like gigabytes. So the thing about it is you need to have sample sizes. This might be a little technical, but you want to have minimum point for data, not too much. So there's no set like it's too much, but you do want to have like some sort of minimum. So a small data set is really risky. And say, for example, you want to do some statistical analysis on, let's say, the election or COVID-19, then 2000 tweets aren't enough. You want to collect maybe a minimum of 50,000. I think that should be the very minimum, like the lowest bar. Because I've done a project two years ago on Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and Blue Lives Matter. And seeing what people talk about when they use this specific hashtag. And this project had over 36 million tweets from all over the world. And we detected there were 60 distinct languages. So then you can have a better idea of what people are talking about. And it's not just too narrow. With more data, you can have more topics, more diversity, and you could find patterns and trends when you have much more data. 
So there isn't too much data is not too bad. It's just if the model is too complex, then too much data is going to make it really slow. But too little data, it's going to be inaccurate a lot of the times. Something that you had brought up is that sometimes your data can be collected from all over the world. But on a global scale, we're not just speaking English. There's a number of different languages that people use to communicate on social media. How does your model take into account these different languages? Does it translate the language into English? Or are you only looking at English-speaking social media posts from around the world? This actually depends on the downstream task. So say, for example, if I'm looking at LGBTQIA plus rights, then we would look at English, right? English data on platforms such as like Reddit, where it's uncensored and social media data is unstructured. So sentences, people write sentences, they write paragraphs, they send emojis. You mentioned those things are like unstructured to like a news article, which is like pretty in a confined space, like one paragraph, maybe a couple paragraphs. If task is to do machine translation, such as going from Spanish to English or English to Spanish and then back to English again, then you look at multiple different languages. So an example of gender bias when it comes to looking at a different language is if you say that this person is a doctor and you translate that on Google Translate or some translation app and you said this person is a doctor and you change it to Spanish, and then you change it back to English, there's been studies where the answer is, he is a doctor. And if you change the English sentence to, from this person is a doctor to she is a doctor, and you translate it to a different language and you put it back, because it's a woman, like a she, it's going to say that she's a nurse. And there's a lot of studies where saying that these models never associate women with career-related positions, such as engineer, professors, doctors lawyers. They're always associated, heavily associated with family-related words such as mothers, wives, aunts, grandmothers, and so on. Just by changing counterpart data augmentation, which is just changing the word he to she, him to her, and so on. And you get completely different response from one of these models. Thanks for that example. I would really like to visualize one of your experiments, though. Can you give us an example about a concluded experiment that you've already done and the results of it? Yeah, that would be super cool. I've done like a lot of studies. I think one of the most ones that I've done, let's say in terms of race, I did this study with this dialogue system where you would give it a sentence and it has to respond with a sentence. It's called a dialogue system or a chatbot. And what we did, we gave it complete sentence, normal English sentence, and it was written in standard American English. And in this paper, we changed one of the words to African American English. So instead of the word this, like T-H-I-S, we simply changed the word to D-I-S, which is something called infricative lost, where any word that's pronounced with a TH is usually pronounced with a D. It's heavily used in slang or in African-American English and in other dialects. And the response was extremely offensive. Like, it was extremely offensive. It was even producing curse words as well because of this one word change. 
and I found that so fascinating. It was really interesting to see, but being black, it was really offensive to me. <laughs> so like, I was like, yeah, this is definitely a problem. And I felt a certain way about it. And being in a space where I study these things and I can mitigate these biases, I want to reduce these feelings towards anyone else who are using them in public. So that's why I use my research to reduce these feelings of like technological stigmatization as well. So it's really important to look at it from a perspective where you can help than just be a victim of it. Another example really quickly is the gender example where I looked at news articles that was written by Microsoft. And oftentimes a lot of the articles written about men are more positive in sentiment where the abstracts written where women are the focused are often seen as like physical objects for their bodies or like quote unquote eye candy and not seen in the career field as often. So I was looking to see the type of coverage bias, which is what stories are being covered. Presentation bias. So an article about a man could be a huge picture of him doing sports, like LeBron James doing a dunk. And you're like, wow, I want to see this article. And an article about a woman getting a Nobel Prize might just be a headline or a small piece in like online news platform. So I was looking at all these types of biases in terms of like race and gender, and those findings were really interesting to me. How can these results that you have found be used to help decrease the biases that people are experiencing whenever they're, for example, applying for different jobs and different companies are using an artificial intelligence tool to evaluate people before actually being seen by the different committees that exist out there? When you find or detect these biases and you try to examine them and you have some results, then we try to focus on fairness in NLP or machine learning. So NLP is um, natural language processing. So natural language processing quickly, by definition, natural language processing allows the machines or computers to break down or interpret human language. It's at the core of tools that we use every day from translation software, chatbots, spam filters, search engines, to even grammar correction. Such as like if you're typing an email and you have like the autofill or even the correction, predictive text. Also social media moder monitoring tools, right? When you look at it from a perspective, after finding the bias, you look from it from the perspective of fairness in NLP. And as social and racial disparities have become an, a compelling issue within the community, you have these focal topics of accountability. Who's going to be accountable for this type of bias? Ethics. So you have these companies that need to prioritize ethical LP. So if you're a bank and you have a automatic like algorithm that does like these bank loan approvals, you have to include data. So if you just include like a lot of white American men in the data to make these decisions, then white American women, black or BIPOC individuals or black indigenous and people of color are going to be disenfranchised. So you do have to find these biases and say, OK, this is why the model behaved a certain way. And then it moves towards path of sustainable development. The bias in machine learning or NLP has gained a lot of attention. So a lot of work has been done on fairness, primarily focused on racial and gender bias. 
And right now, when you do these projects and you use the data to showcase the implicit language model bias, the natural language processing model bias, you can use these results to say, this is what we need to do. This is what's been happening. Because you do a study on all of the models that are released, and then these companies, or even just social media companies, or just like banks and so on, private companies could go back and say, okay, this is what we need to change. I think through this research, we can use it to also inform many different companies and like your example with the bank for hiring processes and to try and eliminate these different isms. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Jamel. We look forward to hearing about the rest of your research and its applications. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.